You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hey guys, my name is Matt Langston. I am a music producer, a mix engineer, and an avid unicorn enthusiast. And I would like to invite you over to my podcast, Eleven D Life. On Eleven D Life, we get to talk to your favorite artists, producers, and creators about what makes them tick. We take deep dives into where they get their juiciest inspirations from and how they keep from being cynical about all of it. We even get to pull back the curtain on my band, Eleven D Seven, and share some fun insider tips and tricks for our fellow. Hello, bandmates and creators out there. So be sure to check out Eleven D Life right here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network and wherever you get your favorite shows. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, before we get started, we have just a few pieces of housekeeping. First, As always, I have to thank my patrons. They are enabling my crippling content creation addiction, and I truly could not do this without them. So for this week, I have to thank Jeremy13, Sarah, Justin, and Paul. Thank you so much. I truly could not do this without you. Last month, I had to repair my van, and all of you are the only reason I was able to do that. So for people who wonder what my patron funds are going to, it really is like going to practical life stuff, like repairs and mortgage and keeping my six cat children alive. So thank you so much. And if you want to join their, if anyone in the audience wants to join their number, just go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long for a dollar to $10 a month. You get extra content every single week, including my second podcast, House of Heretics, with the uh, former Salvation Army officer, Timothy McPherson. Or $1,000 a month is also an option. <laughs> just decides that they want to to be that that generous it's still going to the same place it's still going to all that positivity absolutely and all those all those van repairs <laughs> thank you matt um also one of the totally inappropriate for me to jump in oh that's like fine you can, no, you can jump in i don't care you're welcome <laughs> okay, <to>. okay. <laughs> all right also one of the best ways to support the show is to leave a five-star review on apple podcasts that tells our digital overlords that the show is worth sharing with others so i'm going to read a positive review this is from ariadne wozniak in great britain they say my favorite podcast by far Sacred Tension is a brilliant podcast, educational, witty, and thought-provoking, hosted by one of the friendliest, non-theistic Satanists you will ever meet. Each episode is the highlight of my week. Very sweet. That's very nice. And if you would also like to leave a nice review or maybe a not nice review, maybe maybe you have some nasty things to say about me. If you leave us if you leave a (laughs) review like that, I'll read that one on air, too. So. All right. Well, with all of that out of the way, Matt Langston. Hello. Hi. (laughs) How's it going? We're doing it. We're we're hanging out. We're hanging out in the in the virtual 
in the virtual lounge. Yes, this is the first time uh, that we've done something not in person. Yeah, it feels kind of weird because I'm so used to you either being over here or me being over there. But let's be honest, anytime that happens, it's an all-day affair. It is an all-day like, affair. Like, if we could do, like, half an hour's worth of content and then the next five hours are just <laughs> goofing off and falling off porches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just, you know, it's a heavy day. It's a heavy day. It is a heavy day. Yeah. No, I I did fall off my porch last year and it was a humiliating moment in my life. And <laughs> like I so I had like a wicker chair thing and the the back leg had just inched <laughs> off the back of oh the porch. I'm like replaying this in my mind as you're talking about it. And I just, <laughs> just slowly sailed backwards. <laughs> and <laughs> I landed on my upper back and like rolled over my head and just rolled down the hill along with like all the cushions <laughs> and my laptop and books and just like it was it was profoundly humiliating. <laughs> it was I mean for you it was profoundly humiliating for the rest of us that got to see it I feel like it's it's still continued to be a wellspring of joy uh and hope in our lives. I don't think I've ever seen uh, a human being go through as many emotions <laughs> in like half a second as I did. It was like surprise <laughs> awe, fear, and then uh, existential dread. And then all of a sudden it was just like acceptance of your fate. <laughs> As I saw your legs fly over your head. And, and it was it was pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I give anything to rewatch that. It holds up after multiple viewings in my mind's eye. So. Just like Dune. Okay, so. <laughs> yes. Um. You have a, first of all, hi, how are you? <laughs> How's it going? Uh, great, great. I'm I'm doing so good. I spent the entire day yesterday with Jessica in the rain. You're, just she to clarify, day, she is your wife. Jessica's my wife. And, and yeah, she had a day off of work and we were trying to figure out what to do. And we're about to start doing respite for teenagers. And so we've got some different things we need to buy for the house. Like we legally have to have like a chest of drawers there and we don't have them. So I was like, well, let's go to Ikea and see. Because you're fucking peasants. Because we're peasants. And yeah, it was just an entire day in the rain. Ikea is out of everything uh which if i was paying attention to anything literally anything happening in the world right now i would have known that but yeah so we should probably tell everyone who you are since it's been a while since you're you've been on the show so you are matt langston front man of 11d7 and also king of the rock candy universe which is the podcast network that we're on and you do the music for the show and longtime friend, yeah. you were you were the one who got this show started. You're the one I went to when I was like, hey, I want to do a show. Can you help me start it? That was four years ago. And you were the. Oh, my God. <clears throat> it feels like six months. Yeah, that was four years. That was 2017. That was August of 2017 when the show started. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's so crazy. So, that, that's the uh, that's the origin story. That, that's your villain origin story. <laughs> that is the villain it's, origin story. And so you were the one who midwifed this show into existence, and you do the music and with uh, Eleven D Seven, and you have been a friend of the show ever since. So yeah, 
There you have That's it. That's true. A friend uh, of friend of Stephen. Uh, so you have a new album out. It's called Revenge of the Mountain Medley. It's very country. And let's see, I <laughs> <laughs> I described it as it makes me want to fuck a trucker in a cornfield. <laughs> It's great. That's so good. It's a it's really, really good. And it's like a follow up to oh, he's taking his shirt off. It's hot in here. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm it, sorry, you you said trucker and I immediately got hot. You and you immediately got hot and bothered <laughs> and just ripped your clothing off. Um, so yeah, it, 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 Revenge of the Mountain Medley. It's like a follow up to a thing you did ten years ago and the the previous one has your biggest song ever ever that has blown up hold on let me see how many listens uh i was going to say dandelion wine i was like no wait that's ray bradbury (laughs) dandelion wine three million eight hundred and sixteen thousand two hundred and eight listens on spotify for appalachian wine so that's wow that's a lot (laughs) Um, several (laughs) and this is a follow-up album to that, and I kind of feel like a lot changed between then and now because I think back then, so you released the first one in 2012, and you were still a Christian back then, correct? Uh, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 2012, I would have absolutely described myself as a Christian, and even back then, sort of knowing how problematic that is and not... Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily feeling a, a sense of pride <laughs> in that, but yeah, it was that was totally so. Yeah, ten ten years ago, we released this album. It was supposed to be a complete joke. We were just kind of ripping off all of these weird folk tunes and stories that we had heard growing up, and then the one like serious song on that whole EP was this narrative that I wrote that was kind of based off a lot of uh, Native American lore uh, and origin stories. And it ended up being like the, I guess, the most popular thing that we've done to date. But it sounds nothing like us. And it was completely by accident. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, the the universe has a, a nice way of like high-fiving you, but in the face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're previously punk rock and then synth pop and the one thing that blows the fuck up is this random country it's song. None of that. <laughs> <laughs> that you write. <laughs> so yeah. Now, and I'll I'll put some music from Revenge of the Mountain Medley in this episode. Maybe maybe at the close, so people can wait and hear it at the very yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not worth getting into now. Yeah, I we mean, we don't we, need we, to do like a track by track teardown. Now with this new one, Revenge, you're writing from a very, very different place. It's a where would you describe this place in comparison to the place from which you wrote uh attack? Um that's a really great question. You know, I, I sort of feel like a, a lot of the things that I write are kind of trying to are they're sort of like therapy for me. They're things that I wish that people were reminding me of or these narratives or stories that I need to remind myself of. And most of the time it ends up sounding pretty 
happy because I, I struggle with my mental health a lot. And so part of my part of what I've worked into the artistry that I feel like I'm trying to put out into the world are kind of these reminders that like everything's going to be fine. You know, these sort of pick me up sort of anthems, you Mm -hmm. know, just to to kind of ingest after coffee. It is great morning with medication. Like, oh, thank you. All of your all of your music is like fantastic morning music. Like if I'm super fucking hungover and I was up till 3 (laughs) a.m. and I have to like pull my shit together and get to work or else I'll get fired. Some 117 <laughs> is what the doctor ordered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's kind of like uh, every time you stream an 117 song online, a Satanist gets his coffee. <laughs> uh, and that's the magic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. The magic we're really Speak, going uh, for. Okay, speaking speaking of which, I have to say this. As so just to encapsulate the spiritual journey that you have been on <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> over over the past 10 years, you yeah. went from being a Christian pop artist who would play Christian festivals and churches all over the place to last year, no, this year, your music was the theme music for the Satanic Temple ordination course. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so I'd almost forgotten about that. It sounds so silly when you say it out loud like that. <laughs> um, so so your music is is the theme music. Uh I think it's from oh which song was it? It was uh from from Rad no not from Rad Science. It was from Basic Glitches. Birthright. The song Birthright is like the theme song for the ordination course. So every ordination course video opens and closes with uh, the instrumentals from that song. Yeah, I mean that it's it's quite a character arc. It I is. Guess, it to is to go from like you know f- fist pumping <laughs> pop punk anthems about God, you know, t- at Christian music festivals in the two thousands. <laughs> Listen, like... I was there too. I was I was at those <laughs> Christian music festivals, so I have been on that arc as well. They were super fun. I mean, if everyone wasn't being uh, sexually shamed and and given a lot of trauma to work through later on in their oh, life, oh yeah, uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. You know? No, Cornerstone was a good time. As fucking dysfunctional and awful as that place was, it had some good <laughs> <Yes>. moments. <laughs> yeah, that's a that that's the thing. Like. I definitely like growing up. I, I we and we talked about this on the podcast before, but like I co- very much come from this like youth group culture was felt like a very religious teenager. Like I was very devout. Whatever thing that I was going to be into, I was going to try to do it to the best of my ability. No, that played out really differently within like once we got signed to a record label and we started touring around the world and it was all of a sudden we were just like thrust into like the butthole of Protestant evangelicalism all across America. Right into the you, prolapsed you, anus of, yes. of American <laughs> exactly. Christianity. And that's kind of what it was. <laughs> like, But you just, you see too much at one time. Like, yeah. you, you saw all the worst parts of that. And it was like, kind of through that experience that all of us kind of started scratching our heads going, well, wait a minute, this is different. And everything we've been told about the world is kind of not true. And it seems like most of the people that we're encountering 
that are uh, manipulating this message of like peace and hope and harmony and oneness with everything are, are fucking it up for everybody. And they're using shame as this tool to control and manipulate. I could go on for hours about this. Um, That's great. But go on. Go on for yeah. hours. Yeah. But I just I sort of came to a point where I was like, no, I I need to get in touch with myself. I need to continue doing my own uh, research about these things. Like I've always had really hard questions to sort of ask about Christianity and I never got any answers. Uh, and so when I decided to start looking for those answers myself, and not only that, just acknowledging what's happening around me, acknowledging the damage that that culture is doing and acknowledging the things that it did to me growing up that I'm still having to sift through. I think it was, it was one of the hardest but healthiest things that I've ever experienced in my life. Mm. Um, very, very proud of some of the things that we were able to do, like proud of a lot of the love that got shared and spread and the fun that we had playing shows and uh, being a part of that crowd. But yeah, I think it became really clear to us that we had zero interest in propping up an evangelical agenda uh, and being a part of that machine. So ultimately we just ended up leaving it and left the Christian music industry and uh, ultimately left our our faith to some degree. But when people say that, when people say, well, oh, you left your faith, um, it's weird because I don't feel that internally. I feel like, oh, no, I just I just moved past something. I just you just grew. Yeah, I just grew. I don't. And, I, and it's, it sounds weird to say, like, leveled up because I don't it, I, it's not coming from a place of feeling like I'm better than anybody or I understand something that other people don't or that I have anything that other people don't. It's just, no, this was always going to happen. I was always going to intellectually get to this place where I had to leave this other stuff behind. The lesser truth gives way to the greater, right? Mm, so yeah, that's like a, a little, so, that's how it felt for me. So it's like you saw the sausage being made. <laughs> yeah, you see the sausage being made and you also see that like people, people were looking for, there's, there's some beautiful imagery and story uh, and metaphor and allegory in Christianity. And there's still parts of it that I absolutely love mm -hmm. and that inform my life even to this day. But it's the kind of thing where it's like once you're outside of it, you, you can't go back. Like once your understanding of that has shifted, everything, everything kind of changes. Yeah. But, I have a friend. I've, I've had I have several friends because I. I try to stay connected to various religious traditions. And that to me mm. is part of my Satanism because Satan rejects false binaries. He's the great trespasser right. of boundaries. And yeah. so I stay connected with a lot of Christians. And those are meaningful friendships to me. And I don't want to lose them. And I call myself an ecumenical slut. Like, I just get down with all of the religions. Like, I. <laughs> I want to <laughs> I want to hang out and get to know all of people from all different types of backgrounds and religious backgrounds. But yes, one of my I, I have several Christian friends who have told me in various ways, I don't think Jesus is done with you yet. And he is going to <laughs> and, and actually use those used those words. Um, That's so scary. And I don't he's think he's not done with you yet. Yes. 
Yes, it's like Fifty Shades of Grey, like I'm not done with you yet. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey, Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and I'm like, once no, once that cat is out of the bag, it you you can't. It's you can't you can't put the toothpaste back. Yeah, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You can't put the horse back in the barn. It's the the metaphors go on, (laughs) and the I I I don't feel like I could ever fit myself back into that belief system. It's impossible. I feel like I would have to somehow break the laws of physics in order to do that because what I know about myself has so utterly transformed i i cannot get back in to that right it would be impossible um and christian faith in general i'm and i mean creedal christian faith believing that christ was born of a virgin uh was crucified dead and buried on the third day rose again i mean just basic that that you know god is three in one father son and holy spirit like the basic shit that is central these are like the greatest hits of christianity yes exactly virgin birth three in one father son (laughs) come on now preach (laughs) so so yeah the basic stuff like the creedal faith that's in the Apostles and Nicene Creed. I don't think I will ever be able to return to that. And I, in in order to yeah. do so, it would take. It, it would be like I would have to like enter a black hole and go through a wormhole in order to to do that because it knowing what I now know about myself, yeah. about the world, about things like the human mind and meditation yes. and yeah. spirituality, I don't think I will ever be able to return to that. I think, yeah, my biggest understanding of Christianity that I felt like shifted was that once I was kind of outside of it, it it made perfect sense to me in that Christianity is a way of experiencing a oneness with everything in the same way that many other religions are. It is a set of, of beliefs and stories and narratives that are constantly in the person of Christ, constantly inviting people in different parts of culture, specifically for the time that he was here, inviting people into the oneness of all things. And my experience growing up with Christianity is that everything I learned or was indoctrinated with was to experience, to lean into my separateness Mm. from everything. And how different that was. And it was, and it just became this toxic and damaging thing in my life. Having said that, I, it's like, it, it's this weird thing where I don't have, I feel like I have more empathy now for other Christians than I did when I was on the inside of Christianity. Me too. Uh, yeah. I also, that, yeah. I also feel like I have more in common with a lot of Christians now. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's almost like everything that Christianity was promising me or that people told me that God was about and was for, I've never found in Christianity. I only found it outside of it. And that's just my personal experience. It was this weird kind of Christianity where if you weren't a Christian, 
at some point things were going to get awkward, right? If it, if at some point somebody realized that you didn't sort of align with that theology or that you had these beliefs that the church at large would have considered to be heretical, mm. that's going to have like a, a massive effect on the rest of your relationships and within the community of people that you're a part of, because all of a sudden you've become an outsider, you know, you've asked one question too many, or you've decided that you're not going to submit to the authority of the church, whatever the fuck that means. And so you're you're a lesser than. You're outside of the group. You're not quite the chosen few anymore. And I always thought that was kind of horseshit. <laughs> yeah. You know, that <clears throat> that reminds me of this very bizarre process that I've gone through. And you've probably you probably relate to it as well, where I was at one time very much an insider within mm. the church. As an insider, I would have specific types of conversations with people. Yeah. I would yeah. hear what people actually thought about shit. Right. And then I shifted to being an outsider. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the way my former fellow Christians perceived me drastically changed. And it was this very weird experience of being suddenly on the outside of this culture that I was raised in, that I was embedded in, and noticing the tangible shift in how people interacted with me. Yeah. And yeah. and the ways in which people saw, saw me, how they would interact yeah. with me, the ways they would edit themselves or phrase things. It was very subtle, but it it was just a like a weird fascinating transition and there was very clearly an inside and an outside like you know when you're on the inside or the outside with that world there yeah you, you you experience very viscerally the cognitive bias that people have oh, yeah. about you or for you oh yeah definitely do you yeah. do you ever miss that world though like are there is there anything from evangelical Christianity <laughs> that you actually miss. So real talk, um, I've had people who are very close to me who are some of the sweetest, kindest, most well-meaning people in the world. And they always, I feel like they ask me questions like this, uh, where they're like, well, what, but you know, what's the one thing that you really miss about Christianity? And, and they're all within the context of these conversations, it always kind of goes back to community and it's this idea that somehow because I don't identify as a Christian anymore, that I've lost that community of the church, that I've lost that mm -hmm. sense of belonging and purpose and that very human desire to be a part of something greater and to be experiencing life with other people. And I always feel like they phrase it to me in this way that's kind of like a, a gotcha moment or supposed to be a gotcha moment. Like, see, not everything about Christianity was bad. No, you're absolutely right. There are beautiful, wonderful things about Christianity, and we have friends who are very very much a part of those bodies of believers. Um, and I'm, I'm not like actively inviting them to not do that. It's not for me to evangelize anything else to anybody. Um, I got so much of that in the church and I'm not willing to perpetuate my own understanding of how people should live their lives anymore. Um, but yeah, I feel like my sense of community only grew outside of that. Like mm -hmm. maybe there was a short season where it was like, oh, well, we're kind of shunned by people. They're asking us to come to church or, or people don't want to have, you know, these sort of Bible study discussions with us anymore. But the amount of empathy that I started to have and it started to grow for other people opened up 
the community of people that I hang out with to be more inclusive. It was everything the church kept saying that community was supposed to be, and it didn't happen until I was outside of the church. And now it's like I don't I, I love having conversations with people of different faith. I find it infinitely fascinating. I'm way more interested in people's stories and how their faith has shaped their life, whether or not they're Christian or something else. All of it feels safe to me now. Yeah. All of it feels like fair game. It just feels like I just want to know. I want to understand you because this miracle of creation that we're living in right now uh, is the thing the this miracle of consciousness that we can interact with each other uh, th- we can share those experiences and have have a greater collective experience together and we don't have to put these labels on it or have to be in the church to have that happen yeah so where what would you describe as your spirituality now um that's a really great question <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's I feel like I'm just trusting myself more mm-hmm. uh, when I when I come into contact with uh, beliefs or teachings or, I don't know, stoicism, you know, mm-hmm. that that I find really helpful or that I feel like resonates with me or that feels true, I, I lean into that. I've learned how to trust myself. I feel like a lot of what the church did was like basically berate you into never being able to trust your emotions, never being able to trust your feelings, and never being able to trust your gut because— you could always interpret the Bible as do as saying that your gut is wrong. So you're constantly in this weird double-mindedness all the time because you're like, well, I'm witnessing things that I don't necessarily agree with, but the Bible says this is fine, but why is that okay and that's not? I, gosh, probably four or five years ago, I, I was introduced to a lot of the teachings of Ram Das, and that led to these uh, thinkers like Alan Watts. I got really into some some Buddhist practices. Uh, I've been doing research into the Hindu religion. All of it just feels, all of it feels like free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I can experience this this world and these beliefs and these different ways of interfacing with the miracle that we're all here. Uh, and a completely safe way and I can decide for myself which ones of those things work for me and which ones don't. Yeah, and that's something I was discouraged against doing when I was in uh, Christianity. was always like, there's only one true religion, there's only one thing, and I'm like, oh, okay, so you've got a monopoly on truth. So you've decided, uh, based off of <laughs> almost no almost no like understanding of 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 what re- religion has looked like throughout the course of the existence of man that somehow you've got the thing and this is how we're all supposed to do it right here in the middle of fucking nowhere south carolina okay uh, the the hubris <laughs> i feel like there's this perception that christianity slash monotheism has mm-hmm. a monopoly on awe, awe at the universe, wonder at the world around us, kind of a a mystical awe at the way things are. And I I don't know if so I would describe myself as an atheist as as a yeah. atheist slash non-theist. I like Sure, sure. I like to call myself a non-theist though because it when when people ask me what it means, I just say a non-theist is an atheist who isn't an asshole about it. And, um, but one of the misunderstandings that I run into all the time 
is people mm-hmm. assume that kind of a mystical awe at the nature of the universe and the fact of being and consciousness and the cosmos yeah, can yeah. only be experienced with a particular supernatural dogma that, that I can right. only have that if I believe in a particular God. And what I have found in my own experience, and this isn't this probably isn't true for everyone, but it's true for me, is that when I left that behind, my sense of expansive wonder yes, at yes. the world is so much more palpable. It's overwhelming mm-hmm. now. It's it it's like this this all that feels like it just threatens to intoxicate me. Whereas yes. I would only ever have that in tiny glimmering moments in in Christianity. And it I, I really feel like my faith was actually a buffer against sheer reality and sheer mystery. Mm. Right, right. And I I think that, you know, I am a Satanist, that's my religious identity. Right. Deeper than that, I am a practitioner of a religion of the present moment. Right. Uh, like a, a, I am a practitioner mm. of a religion of the, the fundamental wonder and inexplicableness of reality and just yes. being in perpetual awe of that. I mean, just like the mm-hmm. fact that anything exists at all, and I have no fucking clue why. Yeah. That is insane. The the mystery of consciousness. I have this this conscious experience of the world. It is like something to be me. And yeah. why is that? <laughs> and I will never yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, cuz you you and I have sort of we we have very paralleling experiences, you know, I feel like within Christianity and our understanding of it and we have a lot of conversations about, oh shit, this thing happened when I was <laughs> When I was growing up and now I realize how it's affecting me now, it's affecting the way that I view people and mm-hmm. uh, it's where a lot of my th- therapy <laughs> heads in those kinds of conversations and stuff. But I I couldn't have said that any more eloquently. It, you're exactly right. It is, it's almost like somebody just takes the veil off the universe and everything is fair game to be in awe of. Yes. It's no longer like trying to, spending all of this mental energy deciding, well, this is, this is good and this is bad. This, this thing must be evil and lead to destruction and this thing must be the straight and narrow path. For me, it's like, those are the kind of things that I understand the Bible is actually talking about. <laughs> you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's like, to me, that narrative was all about like, don't like quit deciding that, you know, because the, the, the thing was that you would somehow know the difference between right and wrong, that you would know the difference between the sacred and the secular. And for me, I feel like, where I've landed now is that, uh, oh, no, 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 all, all of it is. The miracle of just us being here is sacred. It plays itself out in these weird and kind of fucked up ways sometimes. <laughs> but you only create more separateness amongst you and, and within your heart and your ability to interface with other people's hearts um, when you're deciding, when you're making these kinds of judgments about your reality around mm. you. I know this might sound kind of heady. and No, no, weird, this is great. But... I mean, it reminds me of something that my friend Penamu from the Satanic Temple talks about. He 
and I think this might be actually the title of a book that he references a lot, but he talks about how when there is no God, everything is sacred. Right, right. And yeah, there's, and, and he did a, a service a, a while ago about the concept of holiness and how holiness and unholiness are almost like a false binary. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's very much the experience that I have that yeah. I I have this even deeper sense of profound holiness and sacred mm. and you know holiness probably isn't the right word I would call it sacredness yeah or something divine something divine something, yeah and yeah. and I know that it's really strange for probably very strange for people to to hear I call myself an atheist and I use words like divine and spiritual and mystical but to me that is not at all a contradiction in the same way that i don't think religion requires god or the supernatural i don't think mysticism requires god or the supernatural i think i think those are false binaries that we have in the west that are very western centric and very protestant and also very informed by people like Richard Dawkins and and the new atheist movement. <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. So for me it it doesn't make sense to divorce mysticism from a lack of belief. I mean it right. because to me mysticism is something fundamental to human nature. It it's something yeah. it, it's like saying to me it's almost like saying, well, because you no longer believe in the evangelical view of marriage, you now have to forego orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like... Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, that that's how absurdist that, it feels. That's how absurdist it uh, yeah. feels to say, yeah. there, you know, how can you consider yourself a mystic if you don't believe in God or the supernatural? I'm like, no, mysticism mm-hmm. is a fundamental feature of humanity in the same way orgasm i I won't say everyone experiences it but most people do and (laughs) to and it's almost like saying well because you don't believe in a particular religious view of how that should happen in Mm. a particular type of marriage then you should no longer experience it that's what it seems like to me right right yeah I, i i i agree with that um, I agree with those sentiments. I want to go back to something that you said earlier on. Mm-hmm. The you you said that you saw the sausage being made in the Christian industry. What what was the <laughs> sausage? What were the specific things? What what were the particular things that you saw that were where you were like, oh, this isn't it? Um, I think. I think seeing a lot of the well, it was it was a lot of different things. I'll try to itemize a few of the greatest hits. One of the most egregious things I think that we saw was the the celebrity worship of people, the platforming of people who were incredibly toxic and bullying individuals. Mm. It was this worship of the cult of personality, and this is like you know the rise of the mega pastor that you can kind of trace back from the. 50s the, and the Billy the Graham, Mark Driscoll era, the Mark Driscolls of the world, and it's easy to point the finger at people like him who had this like you know massive fall, um, but it's also even more disturbing that in our experience, most of these like mega church. 
tight places. And we've met a lot of these pastors. I won't go into like details and name names or anything, but the power players in the, the, the Americanized Christianity, I don't think we met a single one of them that there wasn't something concerning <laughs> uh, or, or uh, very different from than what we understood Christianity to be, the way that they sort of created this cult of personality around them, the way that they became the Christ of their own situation, that they protected their own power, uh, the way that they had a narrative about themselves that they equated as being divine, how everybody was always saying that they were chosen by God or God had put them in that place. Um, and then you get, you know, 15, 20 minutes uh, with other people at that church, and all of a sudden you realize, like, oh, there's all kinds of, like, sexual misconduct, and th- this youth pastor is, like, fucking these three kids, and, uh, you know, so-and-so is trying to keep it keep it under wraps, and then there's all this this weird sort of vying for power and pastoral positions within. The, it's just, it's creating the same bullshit over and over and over again, but somehow it it's okay because it's all being done under the guise of Christianity. No, it's you're creating a business, you're creating a power structure, you are creating a president of a company, you're creating a CEO, and you're giving them all the power that comes along with that. Mm. But instead of just letting them do regular business shit and we can decide on how well that's doing because either stocks go up or they go down, this is tied to a religious belief that you have. So this person clearly going off the rails into like narcissism is in charge of and believes that they're in charge of the spiritual well-being and health of an entire group and flock of people. And that's really dangerous. Yeah. This is like Mark Driscoll's not the only pastor. All the Hillsong shit that's been going on. I don't know what Hillsong like, shit has been going on. People can look it up on online. Or do, do, do you a, want do to do a little fill in of what's going on <laughs> at Hillsong? I'll just say like, <laughs> All of the all the major players in this, we we were telling people this like in two thousand nine or ten, you know, when we were still Christians, <laughs> we were still like a part of it and trying to be actively engaged in that. That this is a house of cards, and if you think that like Mark Driscoll is the problem, he's not. Like, or that pastors like Mark Driscoll are the problem, they're not. It's an entire culture that platforms people like that. Yeah, and it's a sinister way of manipulating people emotionally not for their own benefit but for the profit of institutions and egos it really reminds me of the yoga world honestly so i was for people who don't know i was a yoga teacher for years and i might go back to teaching yoga uh my my teaching was put on hold because of the pandemic but the the yoga world is just so terrifying because the vast majority of yoga gurus that I can think of are just horrific abusers, the vast majority Mm. of them. And it's Mm. this guru culture that combines uh, egomania and spiritual enlightenment and narcissism and abuse with people who are desperately searching. Yes. And that fusion is just deadly. And, you know, the documentary Wild Wild Country is a really good look at that. It's brilliant, yeah. But but the thing is, Wild 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 Country on Netflix <laughs> plays out in so many more contexts than you m- might realize. 
Like it's the same story getting told over, over and over and over and, and, over, and again. over again. I mean the yeah, and, and like from John Friend, who was on uh, I can't remember his particular school, Anusari, I think, but and, and then uh, like John Friend and Bikram and uh, Osho and just it, the list goes on and on and on of this. Su- oh, and Yogi Bhajan, who who uh, mm-hmm. did Kundalini Yoga in in the United States. That fusion of kind of guru celebrity and narcissism mm-hmm. that combined with super vulnerable people who are yeah. basically told respect and love your teacher. Your your teacher yeah. is your guide. It's yeah. so dangerous. And I see so many parallels between that culture and... Yes, the evangelical it, culture. Exactly. What I've noticed, uh, the most succinct way I have of saying this is that there are cultures and subcultures that that will use really kind, nice, warm, fuzzy, cozy rhetoric to slowly chip away and erode your own agency and your own ability to understand what is happening and to be thinking about how you're growing, how you're changing, how you're evolving in a healthy way. And it will cause you over time to, to default all of those uh, answers. You know, people are happy to give you answers if you're, you're not, not willing to think for yourself mm-hmm. or if you're too stressed to think for yourself or if you feel overwhelmed by what's happening in your life right now, what's happening emotionally, relationally. That's why a lot of people come to places like churches or to gurus or to yogis like they're seeking help, you know, they're overwhelmed and they're like, something needs to change. I feel like there's something great. There's a, a better version of myself that I could be and I'm not sure how to get there. And instead of empowering people to find that for themselves and to, to maybe even use religion as an interface for exploring that, uh, people kind of whittle it down to know this is the way. This is the one answer. They, they create those binaries. They say, oh, yeah, well, it's, it's the straight and narrow path, and I'm the person that has the key to the straight and narrow path. I can tell you how to get there. I can tell you how to live it. And not only that, I already am with my actions mm-hmm. and with the success that I'm experiencing. With it. Like, How else would I have become this great mega pastor, uh, success, su- successful spiritual teacher, if not for some kind of divine influence? If I wasn't uniquely... <laughs> right. If I, if wa- I didn't have yeah. something that you didn't have. You're just creating an emotional economy to fuck people over with when you do that. Yeah. Um, There's something fundamentally codependent about a lot of evangelicalism. Like, it it creates codependence. It, it creates... Yeah just raging codependency in people and but that's partially our fault too though right like we see people that have an incredible platform they're a best-selling author they're an incredible musician or there's somebody who has this sort of following of people and they're willing to get up and teach everybody and so we're willing to sort of suspend and we take it uh, yeah we, yeah and we, we take we that. accept it we and we platform them, them we buy the tickets to the thing we we buy their book when they come out we talk to our friends about their books i'm not saying all of that is bad yeah i'm just saying that there's a difference between creating a cult of personality and falling at the feet of someone's ego and then somebody genuinely pointing you in the direction of empowering you to be able to become uh to overcome the things that you're trying to overcome in life. 
you know, there's, or to elevate your your person, your spirit. There's a weird parallel there of, you know, it, it's a cultural problem and mm. the audience is... The audience isn't passive in this. The audience might share some responsibility. There's a parallel though there for me with Marilyn Manson <laughs> because, uh, right. right? Because like I have been a diehard Marilyn Manson fan for basically for most of my life, and yeah. I adored him. He was he's been a huge influence on me. But the thing is, all of the fans knew that there was something very wrong. Mm. They we knew because he told us that he was abusing people mm. from the very beginning. And so people like me just kind of accepted that. And I think part of it was that it was so outrageous that we never really believed it. Or we allowed this this a we we allowed this suspension of morality so that Marilyn Manson could exist in this amoral space. And that was part of his magic. That was that was genuinely part of his kind of spell. Well, that's part of the artistry too, though, right? Yes, it's these very simple simple ideas that are very exaggerated. Yeah, exactly, uh, and very very like brought to to the end of of as as big and as grandiose uh, and as salacious as they can be. And that's part of what attracts people to those things is how odd or weird. And it, that it is, and it's or cathartic. How cultural it is, yeah. It, it's cathartic, and I. And the thing is, you know, Stephen King can do that, and and can do it in a very safe way, right? And so it's it's important for us to have art that explores and indulges in kind of the darkest parts of human nature, because that means that we don't act it out in real life. It actually reinforces the boundaries. Yeah, it actually it reinforces the boundaries. And so it allows yeah. us to experience things that we would never experience, but in a safe way, right? And so, yeah. and Stephen King has basically said this, you know, he, he mm-hmm. he's talked about this, but then Marilyn Manson was actually doing it. And, I think most of us knew that he was. Interesting. Mo- I think I I knew that he was. I, I knew that there was something wrong. I, I knew that he was probably in a, a, a... I knew that he was probably a horrific person. But because of the veil of... of the, the veil of unreality that surrounds Marilyn Manson and because of that that bubble of amorality that we put him in where it's like he's kind of an alien creature that doesn't have to adhere to our to to the moral code that the rest of us do i i and i'm not saying that i'm responsible for for the horrific abuse and torture that he did but i think that i did take part in a culture that enabled it yeah, but that's what makes it that's what makes it so hard and so defeating um, whenever things like that happen. Because on the one hand, you have artists who are creating this really uh, brilliant art 
that is hitting specifically at places in culture that nobody else is doing. Yeah, which he did, a home which he does. And so you have this entire group of people, and let's just say for, for Marilyn Manson, it was teenagers and 20-somethings. Uh, for pastors, it's just spiritual seekers, right? Yeah. So you you have these things where you, you're offering people like a little bit of a glimpse into making them feel seen, helping them feel heard, making them feel less weird. You know, like for me, those artists growing up, were the ones that I was like, oh shit! I the way that they're viewing the world, this is this is it. They're putting into words what my human experience is, and there's something incredibly, like you said earlier, very cathartic about that. And so you create this social capital with people when you offer it to give them experiences like that, and when you put your art out into the world. But then on the one hand, you're you're creating this one thing, but you're also capable of doing all this other shit. And so with the other hand. You're like absolutely fucking over everything, you know, that you're doing with the other hand. So it's like, that's what makes it so difficult and why people's hearts get broken in such a profound way when they feel very seen and heard and cared for. And then all of a sudden these people turn out to just be humans who were kind of just as fucked up as everybody else is. And the only difference was that they were sort of given a platform but that platform amplifies the good and ultimately the bad at the same time. Yeah, and they were given permission by that platform to do yeah. horrible, horrible things. Yeah, and so, you know, it. Yeah, it, it, that, it's just something that I've been thinking quite a bit about, like, I and doing self-reflection on because I, he, you know, Marilyn Manson told us, he told his fans exactly what he was doing, and basically we didn't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many parallels between that and say Mark Driscoll. Um, yeah, of we, we've already talked off mic about the Mars Hill podcast. That's super huge yeah. right now. The rise and fall of Mars Hill, which is super weird. It's, it's such a bizarre <laughs> thing because it's like, it's by Christianity today. So it's like one weird, dysfunctional, conservative Christian sect trying to, examine another weird dysfunctional conservative christian sect and so it's like the yeah. the most bizarre train wreck yes. that i just can't look away from yes <laughs> hey, can we just like take a second to go back on something that you said too because what you're talking about reminds me right now yes of course these experiences that you've had where people are like like if you are a christian and you are saying to people uh god is not done with you yet <laughs> I would implore you to please like please step back for a minute <laughs> and just like take take an emotional inventory of why you're saying that to somebody and what that sounds like because for me because I have people still in my life who are like well God's not done with you yet. Well, what I feel like that does is it takes away your agency and it basically says that there's there's at some point you could gain a certain amount of respect for me, but you won't have it until you do this thing that somehow there is a plan that I know, or that I know that God knows that is for your life. And at some point you'll wake up to my way of doing things, to my belief, to my understanding of what God is. And it basically puts you back at the place of like being God, which is like a very anti Christian sort of sentiment, depending on how you look at it. But I've always hated that because when people say that to me, I'm a, it's kind of like going up to somebody and saying, you know what, one day 
you're going to get your driver's license. <laughs> it's like, motherfucker, I've been driving for 20 fucking years. <laughs> okay. I'm already doing it. I'm already doing the thing. So, yeah. As as you were talking about that, the thing that came to mind, I forget the the cognitive glitch, the name of this cognitive glitch, but basically it's the glitch where evidence that opposes your views is flipped to basically fortify to reinforce them right fortify your views it's almost like it's almost like that but lived out and embodied it's like the existence of a (laughs) non-believer in your life becomes just another come becomes evidence of god it becomes evident it it gets it reinforces the the narrative of evangelical christianity and so this other person who's like across from you who doesn't believe the same thing as you yes um that the whole god's not done with you yet narrative what that actually is is taking the existence of this other person who has a different world view and who you uh-huh. could engage with seriously and instead and belittling just it. incorporating them into your worldview in order to reinforce it. Yeah. And I think right. that's why it feels so dehumanizing because it, right. it's basically using that other person as a tool to reinforce your theology. And that just yes. feels so gross when you're on the receiving end of it. It it right feels right. awful. And I do I mean I guess I should back up here for a little bit because as we're talking about this, like I'm you know, I'm airing my grievances that I have with this specific, you know, sect of, of Christianity and my personal experience with it. But also at the same time, I, these conversations are important. It's important for us to be able to say to people in a concise way, this is what's happening to with me. And with the culture at large, when you say things like this, when this is your rhetoric, this is the God's not done with you rhetoric, because when you're on the inside of it, there's nothing in these people that like they would consider to be ill intent. These could be like the nicest, kindest, wonderful people. Your house burns down. They're happy to let you move into the basement. You need anything at all, childcare, food, whatever. They're going to be the first people that show up and provide that for you. Yep. So I don't mean to whittle these amazing, wonderful, gracious people down to just this one conversation they decide to have. That's a little bit not well thought out. Um, Absolutely. Because, because yeah, I think that I think that everybody is is doing their best, and that's one of the things that being outside of Christianity has sort of driven home with me over the last few years. Is like, no, just always assume that what somebody is giving you is is everything they're capable of giving you in that moment. Yeah. Because it might be all that there is, and there's more truth in that than it is like deciding, you know after the fact that somebody's a piece of shit by your standards and you're not going to have anything to do with them or believe what they have to say. Assuming good faith also just makes life so much easier. It Oh my god, it makes you a better person. It makes you a better person. <laughs> I mean, it well, yeah, it I mean it makes me a better person and it it just makes life so much easier. And yeah, because if I if I approach a conversation assuming that this is actually a pretty good person, Mm-hmm. who might believe some terrible things yeah and but does so sincerely that really changes how I approach that person and and how I yeah. see that person on a fundamental level and I read a book because you and you and I have been there yes like you yes. and I have had the, those I've, experiences I, and I've been that person 
Yes. Yeah. I have been that Absolutely. person. I was. You're an, you're an asshole. You're an absolute asshole. <laughs> I am. I, mean, uh, I, mean, I can be. <laughs> but no, like I, I was that person in the Christian world who said those things. Yes. And one of the reasons why I am no longer that person is because people show people demonstrated yes. charity and good faith to me. Yes. And, you know, I read a book last year called The Coddling of the American Mind by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. And it's ba- <laughs> of course you did. What was that? <laughs> of course. you. Of did. course I did. <laughs> um and, you know, there there's a lot to criticize in that book, and, and uh, I might do, like, an in-depth autopsy of that book at some point on the show, but it's worth reading. And it's, yeah. its premise is that there are three fundamental untruths, um, mm. and one of the untruths is the untruth of us versus them. The world is divided between good people and evil people. Mm. The world is a battle between good people and evil people. And that is so deeply untrue. And I actually think that the, tr- the, the real tragedy of humanity is that people do evil things because of their operating system, because of the mm. software that they are running. And it doesn't necessarily, mm. very often, yes, it does have to do with their character. It does have to do with, you know, some fatal flaw in their personal makeup. But in my experience, more often than not, someone believe, someone does, someone believes something that is harmful because they actually genuinely believe it. And mm-hmm. they're often people of good character. And so I know people who believe things that I think are just absolutely horrific. Right. That about gay people, about trans people when manifested in reality. Right. The tragedy of human nature isn't that they are bad people. The tragedy of human nature is that they're actually really good people. They are people of good Mm -hmm. character. They are people of integrity. They are people who are self-reflective. They are people who want to do the best thing. They are people who genuinely want to love others and serve others and see the world arrive at a better place before they die. Mm -hmm. That is who they are. The, the, The tragedy of human nature isn't that bad people do bad things. The tragedy is that good people do bad things and believe things that run an operating system that distort their reality so that it doesn't matter how good mm-hmm. they are. They're, no matter their goodness, they still do horrific things in the world. And yeah. the, their beliefs have consequences. And that, to me, is a way scarier reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that, to me, is way scarier because it requires confronting genuine goodness and humanity within people who do bad things. That is a way yeah. harder and way more frightening prospect, but it but for me it is also freeing to do that. Yeah. Because it means yeah. that there is actually a chance of redemption. There's actually mm. a chance of of finding common ground and changing of transformation. Mm. And I, I and also I've just seen it happen too many times. I've seen people change their minds too many times to believe that that doesn't happen. Right. 
Right. I think we're coming up on our time, Schnookums. No, we totally are. We totally are. <laughs> and I'm sure <laughs> and I'm sure you have, you know, some unicorns to tend to. So his house, by the way, is fucking festooned with unicorns. There are so many goddamn unicorns in the Langston household. It's kind of overwhelming. It's a yeah, it's a shrine to all things corn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> um yeah, but this is this has been so so fun. I obviously like love talking about this kind of stuff with you, Stephen, and I I think that these kinds of conversations I like I would just encourage other people to quit listening to the conversations that you and I are having and go find a friend <laughs> to have them with. Go go find um, a person to have conversations with. Absolutely. Yeah, cuz these kinds of moments this hour, last hour that we spent, this is the kind of thing that helped me grow. Um, that helped me to develop empathy and, and care for other people in a way that I had not ever known before. So, yeah, same. Yeah. Uh, what song should, what song from, uh, Revenge of the Mountain Medley should we close out on? Oh gosh. For sacred tension. <clears throat> Heaven for devils. <laughs> okay. We can do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll close out on Heaven for devils. All right. Any final thoughts before yeah. we wrap up? Where can people find your music by the way? Uh, 117 is alive.com. You can open up a Spotify app and type in 117. We are there. Any streams, likes, hearts, uh, shares that you want to give out to us are always greatly, greatly appreciated. But having said that, there are a lot better things you could do with your time and your life. And I encourage you to find out what those are. No, you can't. There, yeah, there's nothing better than <laughs> listening to 117. <laughs> Stop downplaying yourself. You need to become the next Mark Driscoll in unicorn form. You need to become a go- cult guru and, uh, you know, demand that people listen to your music and find all their spiritual truths in 117. Only if you only if you'll agree to be the one that takes me down and then brings the first set of serious litigation against my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by Eleven D Seven. The theme song is Wild. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. As always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>